All right. Well, welcome to part two in our series, Jesus for President. And if you missed last week, the premise of this series is basically I'm asking you a very, very simple question. And I need to answer, everyone needs to answer this question now more than ever. And the question is, who's got your vote? That's the question that I want to know. And I want to go around the room right now and everyone tell me who's got their vote. Okay. Because this is the most important thing in the world to know who's got your vote. Now, in case you missed last week and think I'm talking about the presidential election, who's got your vote, I'm not brave enough and or dumb enough to ask that question in a public setting. I'm talking about a much, much, much more important election, and that is, who is the king of your life? Who is the ruler, and who is the one who calls all the shots in your day-to-day life? And the easy answer is, of course, is Jesus. That's the easy answer, and all of us would say that, of course, Jesus calls the shots, and of course, you know, I do whatever God says. But what we talked about a little bit last week is we have to dig a little bit deeper because all of us are good at self-deception. And it's not just to say the words that Jesus is the king of my life. It could be more to it. We all know someone who thinks they're smart and isn't so smart. Someone who thinks they're funny and isn't so funny. We all know someone who thinks they're young and they're not so young. And you don't know any of those priests, okay, who think all those things because the priests you know are all of those things, cool and funny and young. But we know some people who are like that. So maybe we need to check ourselves as well to make sure before we just say, yeah, for sure, Jesus is the king of my life. He's the one who calls the shots. We need to dig a little bit deeper because what we looked at last week, why this is so important, here's kind of the key thought of the series, that living in God's kingdom requires submission to God's kingship, okay? Living in God's kingdom requires submission to God's kingship. The verse that we saw last week, I fill in the blank here for me so go a little interactive. God says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. Okay, very good. And if we are not the people of God, we are not submitting to God, then not he kicks us out of his kingdom, but we forfeit the benefits of the kingdom of God when we forsake the kingship of God. And that's what we talked about last week. Now, on the surface, if I say to you, you have a choice to make God your king and to live in his kingdom, this is a no-brainer. Like, this is the easiest vote there ever was. Like, who would not want God as their king? Who would not want to live in the kingdom of God? Like, what could be better? Tell me a better king than God, the one who created everything. Tell me a better kingdom than the one where the streets are paved with gold and it goes on forever and ever in eternal joy. Nothing could be better than the kingship of God and the kingdom of God, right? In theory, yes. But our problem is, we're here in the United States of America, land of the free. And we are human beings. And by our nature, by our nature, we like to be independent. We don't like to have, isn't that the American dream to be your own boss? Self-rule, self-governance. Okay, no one tells me what to do. You do you and me do me. Then no one tells me how to live my life. That's like the American dream. So while on the surface, yeah, God is my king. Live in his kingdom. The reality is, is that by our nature, we resist. And we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say like, I'm resisting the kingship of God. Those are big words. But what we would just do is say, and tell me if you've heard this or you've said this. Um, You know, I interpret that verse that way. You heard that one before, right? Or, no, what this verse actually means, or, you know, I, I, I don't believe in a God who would, or who would want me to, or who would think that such and such is wrong. Like, I, don't, I wouldn't believe in that kind of a God. And basically what we end up is, 
We have a whole bunch of little theologians around, running around, okay, each one making up their own theology, each one never studied a theology class in their life, but each one of us making up our own rules. It's exactly like if you go to a kindergarten class, go to a kindergarten class, all right, and the teacher walks out to go to the bathroom, and all of a sudden, while the teacher's out at the bathroom, the kids start making up the rules, okay? This is how we're going to run the show around here. Well, that's kind of what happens right here, is that we start telling God how life is supposed to work, and in the end, it doesn't work out so well. We were not made to rule ourselves. We talked about this last week, that we were made to live in a kingdom. Sorry, I did not mean to hit that. We were made to live in a kingdom, and we were made to live with a ruler. We were made to live in a kingdom and with a ruler. And if you don't believe me, you can just ask Adam and Eve, because they were the first ones who thought they could run the show themselves, and it didn't work out so well. Look at, look at this verse here from 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 20. Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? You see the connection between kingdom and kingship? Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. Because you forsook the kingship, you lost the kingdom. Not you were kicked out of the kingdom. But when you, if I stand up today and say, I will not obey the laws of this country. I refuse to obey the laws of this country. It's just a matter of time before I lose my citizenship or my status of freedom in this country. I lose the benefits of it because you cannot have kingdom without kingship. Now, that's kind of a recap of last week. Good news. We're going to start moving forward here today. The good news is, the good news is what Adam and Eve lost for us, the kingdom of God. Okay, when they forsook the kingship, they lost the kingdom and we all got in trouble. What they forsook, what they broke, Jesus came to fix. What the first Adam messed up, the second Adam came to restore. And that's why when Jesus came, he came all about declaring the kingdom of God so that we could return to our rightful place inside the kingdom. But here's the important point. Jesus taking us from outside of the kingdom to inside of the kingdom is not abracadabra, is not hocus pocus. Okay, I'm here, all is good. The process by which we move from the outside to the inside was a very deliberate process where Jesus came and declared the ways of God and declared the path of God, the commands of God, the truth about how, what God's kingship means and what Jesus declared. That's why he said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Gave us the path, and when we follow the path, we find ourselves inside the kingdom. It wasn't an abracadabra. Okay, I'm here. All is good. Forget about everything. Live how you want to live, and just don't worry. Off. No, 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 no. It was a very deliberate process. This is the ways of God, and this is the result of following the ways of God. The kingship leads to the kingdom. So what we're going to do in this series starting today, every week we're going to take one verse or one Sometimes it might be more and worse. One phrase or one idea, okay? And we're going to start with the Beatitudes. You know the Beatitudes in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the most important sermon ever given, okay, was when Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 and 7, declared the ways of the kingdom. And each of the Beatitudes is exactly this point about kingship leading to kingdom. Because all the Beatitudes say, blessed are the blank, and it gives the requirement or the criteria or the, what is it that the way of God? For they shall have blank. So it's the requirement and then the reward. The kingship and then the kingdom. And each week, we're going to look at this one beatitude and this one phrase, and it's going to give us a very practical way to measure who 
is king of my life. Again, I know what you said, but I want to look practically and say, how do I measure Jesus' true kingship in my life? And we're going to look at these different criteria. And the first one that we're going to look at here today, the first one that we're starting off with, is not the first one in the sequence of it, but the one that I believe dispels one of the biggest myths about God more than any other. There's one myth that has been, that is, we've all come to believe, okay, from when we were very young, and this particular verse dispels it and flies in the face of it, and it tells us what God truly wants for those who follow his ways. And that verse is this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Can we read it all together? Okay, we need some little class participation today because I know the masks make us tired. Class participation on three. One, two, three. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So again, there is your requirement and your reward, your criteria, and then the result of it. So the criteria is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So let's actually start backwards, okay? Because this is the season of, of, of politicians, so let's go the political way, which is let's make the campaign promises right now, and let's tell you what you get, okay, if you come to my side right here. So let's start with the reward of they shall inherit the earth. Every one of us has read this verse before, and I bet you most of us don't stop to ask ourselves, what does it mean that I will inherit the earth? You ever thought about that? What does it mean that if we follow this thing about meekness, which we'll get into that in a second, what does it mean that I can inherit the earth? Most of us, we look at this and we're like, isn't this like the opposite of what God usually says? Doesn't God tell us not to care about the earth? Doesn't God only care about like spiritual things like fasting and prayer and things that make us miserable on earth? Like I know people, okay? And again, this is all of us. We all, I'm not going to say all of this, but a lot of us grew up thinking, as I for sure did, that God was against me enjoying life on earth. And I've shared this before. If anyone heard me speak about this, I say that my personal mission in life, okay, is to declare that two things are coexisting and not contrary to one another, which is God and fun. Okay, because I grew up thinking you had to have God or fun. Okay, and I, for a lot of time, I chose fun. I wanted to have fun, and I wasn't sure that, that, that God was part of fun, so let me choose fun. Then I realized, you know what? You don't have to choose God or fun, that God actually is fun, and fun is God. A lot of us think that God is against us enjoying life, but this verse says something about inherit the earth. I know people, and you may be one of them. I know people who make decisions this way, and they have two choices in front of them. And they say, this one I would enjoy, this one I would not enjoy. So this one's got to be from God. I know people who make decisions that way. I want this job. I don't want this job. For sure, God wants this job. <laughs> because we have ingrained in us that God is spiritual. God cares about heaven. And everything down here on this earth, God doesn't really care about. Well, if that's the case, then why would he say here, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Believe it or not, God is not against the earth. God is actually the creator of the earth. And anything that's good on this earth is from God. And there's actually many examples in the scriptures, but we just don't pay attention to them, where the promises of God lead to prosperity and blessings and good things on this earth. I'll give you a few examples. St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, and he's actually quoting the, the, the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament. It says, Honor your father and mother, which is first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So there's a promise that has an earthly reward. We're not talking about heaven, talking about earth. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children for, or lands for my sake in the gospels 
who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Fill in the blank right here. Every time we pray the liturgy and we sing the hymn of the cherubim, you say, holy, 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 Lord of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your holy glory. So we do not believe that earth is bad, heaven is good. Here we just have to kind of grin and bear it and suffer and just kind of get through whatever kind of miserable existence and then God will reward us in heaven. We don't believe that. The reward of God is not limited to this earth, but it is not exclusive of this earth. The reward of God is certainly not limited to this earth, but that doesn't mean that it's exclusive of this earth. St. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers who wrote plenty about the, the, the interpretation of the Bible, says this about this particular verse. He says, tell me what kind of earth. He's basically talking about when it says inherit the earth, what kind of earth? Tell me what kind of earth. Some say a figurative earth, but it is not this. For nowhere in scripture do we find any mention of an earth that is merely figurative. You get what he's saying? He's saying, show me another example where the word earth is used in a spiritual sense. Earth means earth. But what can the saying mean? He, meaning Jesus, holds out a sensible prize. And the word sensible made sense for their time. Doesn't make as much sense for us. Sensible, think sensory, okay? Something that can be touched or seen or smelled. The senses, that's what he means by sensible. The truest meaning of the word senses, sensible. So he holds out a sensible or a tangible or a material prize. Even as Paul does also in that when he said, honor your father and mother and added, for so you shall live long upon the earth. Thus he does not incite us by means of future blessings only, but of the present also. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Inherit means they shall own it. They shall be the ones who are in charge. What does it mean that God makes us inheritors of earth, that we shall inherit the earth? Does that mean we're going to be rich? Does that mean we have lots of land? Lots of possessions? Because that's another direction that you could take this and go in the completely opposite direction. But that's not where we're going right here. Does it mean that I'm going to be the most popular person? That I'm going to have the, the highest careers? Does it mean I'm finally going to get that little blue check mark on Facebook or Twitter? Like, what does it mean to inherit the earth? I'll say the answer, okay? My particular answer, and then I'll explain what it means. And at first, you might think that is going the wrong direction, but just stick with me right here. I think inherit the earth means to win at the game of life. I think it means to win. And you say, what does it mean to win at the game of life? The most important thing, whenever you play any game, and obviously life is not a game, but I'm just, just go with the analogy right here. Anytime you play any game, the most important thing is to know the rules. And if you don't know the rules, you're going to waste your time. You're going to be quite frustrated. I remember when I first played Monopoly. Any who love Monopoly? Y'all love Monopoly. Okay. So if you ever played Monopoly, you know how the game goes. You get some money, you got to buy the properties, and when you get the people land on your properties, you get the money. I didn't understand the rules at the beginning. I'm kind of cheap by my nature. So I had money, and then I would land on one of those expensive properties. And I've always considered myself fiscally conservative, okay? So I would say to myself, that's, uh, that's not a wise use of my money. So I'm going to hold on to the money. I'm going to stay liquid, Okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep my assets liquid as long as possible. So I had this big stack of cash and I had just like the properties like the Baltics and the Mediterraneans and the, the, the stinky ones, which they couldn't pay you to take in the normal people. Okay, I didn't understand the rules. I had lots of money, 
I didn't have much properties. And I'm like, okay, this is great. Look how much money I have. Look how little you have. Well, again, if you've ever played the game, you realize that without any source of revenue, okay, without any income stream, it's just a matter of time before you are absolutely bankrupt because the money is of no value unless you can continue to get more of it. Bottom line is, okay, forget about Monopoly for a second. I didn't understand the rules of the game. And because I didn't understand the rules very well, I thought I was doing a good job. But in the end, I didn't win. In the end, I didn't have a very good score when all was said and done. I think the same is kind of true in life. You realize this game is going to come to an end. And I'm not talking about heaven and hell. I'm not talking about judgment. Okay? All that's true, what you're thinking, but that's not, that's not our subject for today. Today, we're talking about inherit the earth. Okay? We're not talking about that. This life is going to end. You're going to get to the end of this game at some point in time. And when you get to the end... Some people are going to look back, if they're given the chance, okay, especially on this earth, to look back. And some people will say, I won. I did good. I'm proud of the game I played. And some people will look back and say, I didn't understand the rules. I wish I'd understood the rules. What are the rules? Well, I want to read you guys a passage from this book, okay? book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anyone read this book before? Okay, very good. It's not a spiritual book. It's not a Christian book. It doesn't talk about spiritual, but it talks about life. And there's a very important thing that I took from this book. I read this book probably 15 years ago or something like that. And there's one concept in this book which talks about how to win at life that I've always held on to me, hold, held on with me. And I want to share that. Basically, I'm going to read a passage that talks about how you view from that side of life, success and failure and winning and losing. Okay, says this. It says, in your mind's eye, see yourself going to a funeral of a loved one. Picture yourself going to the funeral parlor or chapel, parking the car and getting out. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers, the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way. You, share the feel, you feel the shared sorrow of losing, the joy of having known that radiates from the hearts of the people there. As you walk down to the front of the room and look inside the casket, you suddenly come face to face with... Yourself. This is your funeral. Three years from today. All these people have come to honor you, to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. As you take a seat and wait for the service to begin, you look at the program in your hand. There are four speakers. The first is one from your family, immediate and also extended, children, brothers, sisters, nephews, niece, aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents who have come from all over the country to attend. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of who you are as a person. The third speaker is from your work or profession. And the fourth is from your church or community organization where you've been involved in service. Now think deeply. What would you like each of these speakers to say about you and your life? What kind of husband, wife, father, mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you want them to remember? Look carefully at the people around you. What difference would you like to have made in their lives? Now, be honest. Usually when I'm reading a book like this, okay, and it gets to, you know, it's like in the, in the end of the chapter, do this exercise. I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of fast forward. I never really do the exercise because you kind of do it in your head. But this one made me stop. It made me ask myself the question, what is it that I want people to say? I want people to say, that he was rich? Do I want people to say he was successful? I want people to say that, 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 that he uh, was efficient? 
What do we want people to say? And a quote later on in the book summarizes, says this, if you carefully consider what you want to be said of you in the funeral experience, you will find your definition of success. So I started to think to myself, me by my nature, I am more of an accomplishment person than a relationship person. That's just how I think. I'm more task than I am people, which is why I've always said, okay, while I, I'm, I'm, I, God has called me to the, 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 the role that I'm in and I'm, and I'm honored to be part of, of anything that he, that he asked me to do, I don't think by my nature I'm the best like counselor, like listener person. And some people disagree and I'm like, okay, that's great. But just by my nature, like any good is by, totally by the grace of God. Because I tend to think more like, like, let's go. Like, let's move forward. I'm not so much good at, like, the, the listening and, like, the, you know, the past stuff. When you're a counselor, you're, like, you're listening for past stuff. When you're more of a task, you're thinking forward stuff. Okay, and sometimes in my mind when someone, this isn't anyone here, but I'm just saying just hypothetically. Sometimes people come to me, people say this and this and this, and I just want to say, like, really? That sounds awful. You got to stop that, man. Like, what are you thinking? You got to get out of that because that's kind of the way that my, my brain thinks. It's like, no, let's fix it. Let's go forward. Let's kind of, so by my nature, that's kind of who I am. But as I did this exercise, I started to think to myself, that's not what I want said about me. I don't want people to say that, that, that I was good at accomplishments, that I was good at tasks. And when I came from this exercise, I came, this isn't really our topic, but just to share this, I came down to seven roles in life. Okay, I look at myself, I always measure success, I view my goals at the start of the new year, even the books I read, how I prepare for confession, everything comes down to seven roles that I wear, that I, that, I, that I play in life, or seven hats that I wear, okay? The first role is as a son of God. That's my most important role. And I have a relationship right there, and that's the most important one. Then I have a relationship as a husband to my wife, a father to my children, a friend, okay? And friend is kind of loose, means like my non-immediate family as well as my friends and those who I, I, I you know, I interact with and, and extended family. Then I got three that relates to my, two that relates to my priesthood, sorry, and then one general one. I break priesthood into two parts, as leader, as well as like pastoral duties. So I have a job as a priest, which is like to lead the church, okay, and to kind of set the vision for the church and to push the church forward, which is very important to me. But then also like the one-on-one piece of it, and those are two separate things. And then the final role is I feel like I'm an ambassador of God everywhere I go. Okay, so even if I, you know, I'm done the priesthood and I'm, you know, punch out or whatever it may be off the clock, I'm still an ambassador of God everywhere I go. I started to think to myself, if I fail on any one of these, then the whole thing's a failure. So what good would it be that I built a great church, but then I lost my home? That would be a failure. What good would it be if I was there for my friends and the people who needed me, but I'm not there for my wife when she needs me? What good is it if I invest in your spiritual life and I do my best to, to help you get to where God wants you to be, but then I neglect my own? When I did this exercise, I realized that it wasn't being a dad was not a measure of success. It was what kind of dad. Being a husband did not make me success. It was what kind of husband. Being a priest, being a whatever it may be, being a child of God, that's not success. What success is, how I do those things. So it led me to think this. Winning isn't about what I've done, but who I am and how I've done it. Would you agree with that statement? That winning isn't who's got the most accomplishments, okay, and who's got the biggest pile of money, and who's got the biggest house, and who's got the best career, all those things, that's not winning. 
Winning is who I am and how I've done the things that I've done in my life. That for me is a win. I don't want to be a husband. I want to be a loving husband. I don't want to be a dad. I want to be a gentle dad. I don't want to be a leader. I want to be a kind leader. I don't want to be a son of God only. I want to be a son of God who lives for him, that has self-control, that isn't led by his passions and desires, but by led by the spirit of the living God that's within me. I don't just want to be something. I care about who I am and how I've done it in life. Everyone with me? Everyone, anyone disagree with me? Thinks that, no, those things aren't as good. Give me the pile of money. Those things aren't as good. Give me the big house. No one, no one. Everyone agrees with me, right? Okay, now I want you to exactly right now, hold that thought, put it on the side. I'm talking about completely, something completely unrelated. Hold that thought. I promise you will come back to it. The thought I'm leaving you with is winning is about not what I've done, but who I am and how I've done it. That's what a win is. Okay, that's what I want on the inside. Hold that thought. Something completely unrelated. We'll come back to this one. Let's ask God, what would be God? What would be your win for me? If you were to ask God, God, if you had full control over my life, if you had full control over my life and you could direct every thought, every word, every action, every decision was 100% by God, not by me. And let's say I had, and this would never happen, but I had no free will and it was truly the will of God that governed every aspect of my life. What would be the fruit of that? Oh, miserable? Torture, because that's what God wants, right? Me to be miserable. Suffer? It'll be shout not doing stuff. It'll just be shout nots, probably, right? I think there'd be fruit to it. And I think in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, St. Paul tells us what the fruit of that looks like. And before I show you what it is, you probably know, but just before I show it to you, the fruit of the Spirit would be what? If the Spirit of God was fully in control of my life, what would my life look like? Answer? Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, which is a fancy word for patience. Okay, old word for patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no other law. Be love if God was in control. Be peace. Be patience. Be joy. What does that sound a lot like? That's exactly what I want. Isn't that what you want? Didn't a minute ago we just go through this little exercise and we realize that what we really want in life isn't the house, isn't the car, isn't the money, isn't the prosperity, but actually what we said is, yeah, you know what? I don't want to just be a husband. I want to be a loving husband. I, I, I don't want to just have a family. I, I want peace in my family. I don't want just to have a job and do a job. Man, I want joy. And the way I do that job, I want people to look at me and say that yeah, he was good. I want people to say the people that interacted with me, I want them to say, yeah, he, he was good. I didn't know much about him, but he was good. He wasn't, he wasn't, he, he wasn't, he was good. I want God to say about me. There's a guy with self-control. There's a guy who didn't live just for the passions of this world, but there's a guy who had self-control. I look at this list and I say to myself, what God wants and what I want are actually the exact same thing. And what God is saying here is that when you submit to my kingship, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. When you submit to my kingship, you will own the earth. You will win at life on earth. Again, I'm not talking about heaven and hell. That's a different subject. That's all true. I'm saying you're going to win. 
When you submit to my way, you're going to win. When you submit to my way, you're going to get to the end of your life. Not even the end of your life. You get to the end of your day. You're going to be able to live in peace. You're going to be able to live with joy. You're going to be able to live with self-control. And that's exactly what I'm promising you. And that's what you just told me a minute ago is what you want more than anything else. Sometimes in life, we don't understand the rules. Back to like me and Monopoly. We're living life and we got a big house. We're like, yeah, it feels good. And we got the promotion. Ah, it feels good. And we got the bonus. That feels good. And we get these things and it feels good. But in the end, they're not helping me win the game. Again, just like me playing Monopoly and I'm going around like, hey, there's another $200. I pass go. Ah, and I pass go again. Uh, you spent 400 on boardwalk? Sucker. I just got 200. So I'm plus 600 over you. You're minus four. I'm plus two. I'm winning. No, you're not. You're not winning. So when you get to the end of the game, you're going to realize that those things that you thought were winning were actually losing and things you thought were losing were actually winning. So that takes us now to the promise. The requirement is blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. That's what God offers us, that you'll win, that you'll be able to have those love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the win. But the condition now we need to talk about is meekness. And I know I said in the beginning that I wouldn't talk practically about what does it mean to be meek. But when I say practical, what I don't mean is I'm going to give you three steps to do this week, and that makes you meek. I could do that, okay? I could come up with three easy steps, but I think, honestly, doing so would actually be shortchanging you because meekness, all of the Beatitudes are not necessarily tasks and actions. They're more internal about attitudes. That's why it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's not an action item, poor in spirit. The merciful, that's not an action item. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, Okay, that's what the blessed is. It's more about an internal attitude and mindset more than it is about an action item that we can take. That's why I was trying to think of like a corny way to say it, like the be attitudes. I was trying to think of like, could be like, be these attitudes. Okay, if you be these attitudes, which I know is really corny, but I said it anyway. So anyway, these are the attitudes that we should be. Okay, that's why they're called the beatitudes, or I don't know why they're called beatitudes, but that's what it means. Anyway, what does it mean to be meek? Meek means surrendered to God's control means surrendered to God's control. Meekness, we usually think as weakness. And we use the two interchangeably. We think of meek like a little mouse that hides in the corner from the cat or from the elephant or whatever it may be. We think of meek as a pushover, a doormat. I have, we all, I have this picture in my mind when I think of meek of like a husband who just walks around all day and says, yes, dear, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. That's what we think of meekness. And we think of meekness as like a weak, like a wimp, like a whatever. So even, you know what? Let's say this meek guy doesn't inherit the earth. Probably some bully will came, come and take it from him and he'll end up losing it anyway in the end. Because he's meek, he's weak, he can't do anything, and we never hold that up as high example. But did you know that the scriptures call two people meek? Anyone know who those two people are? One is Jesus. The other one, anyone guess? Old Testament, part of the Red Sea. Spoke to Pharaoh pretty strong. Moses. You are talking, like, let's, we'll come back to Jesus, okay? Because obviously Jesus is everything. But you look at Moses. Anyone look at Moses and say he was weak? As he stood in front of Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Is he part of the Red Sea? Water from the rock? Okay, Moses was fiery. Moses was not weak. So maybe our understanding of meekness 
is a little off. Jesus was the other one. And Jesus is the perfect example of what meekness truly means. It doesn't mean weak. It actually means strength under control. It means powerful, but restrained. And let me give you this example. Look at Jesus at the end of his life, all right? When he was, when he was arrested and he was put on trial and he was spit upon and he was mocked and he was nailed to the cross. Which takes more strength? To fight back or to keep your mouth shut in that situation? Which takes more strength when mocked? To mock back or to keep silent? St. Peter says this, that Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus knew the rules. And Jesus understood that I could fight back. Oh my goodness. Jesus with one wink of half an eyelid, one wink of half an eyelid, one half a wink of a half of an eyelid, boom, wiped out all those bad guys. Could have done it if he wanted. And I'm sitting there and I hear the stuff that they say. I don't think I'd have the self-control to be restrained as they spit on him and they mock him and they say, if you so strong, come down. I'll show you strong. Like I'll, show, like, I'll show you strong. And I'm not saying kill them, but maybe just a little lightning, like a little love tap from a little lightning bolt, just like right there, just to show them. Keep your mouth shut. Like, I'm doing this for your sake. He didn't do any of that stuff. He kept his mouth shut. And I'm telling you, that's meekness. It's not weakness. It would be weakness if he couldn't fight. But meekness means he could, but he surrendered. Strength under control. The picture sometimes of, a, of meekness is a lion sitting, like resting. A lion that's sitting, that's not fighting, is weak? <laughs> no, a lion that's sitting is meek. It's strength under control. There's a, um, <clears throat> I'm going to show you a quote from a book, I'm sorry, an article that's titled, Meek Like a War Horse, Okay. Meek like a war horse, which is a great title for an article. It says this. It says, wild stallions were brought down from the mountains and broken for riding. Some were used to pull wagons, some were raced, and the best were trained for warfare. They retained their fierce spirit, courage, and power, but were disciplined to respond to the slightest nudge or pressure of the rider's leg. Common sense. If I'm going to take a, a horse to war, he needs to know that I'm in charge and in a moment, I'm going to turn this way. In a moment, turn this way. I'm going to tell him to stop on a dime. He needs to be very, very well trained. He can't be weak. He's not going to do me any good if he's weak, but he has to be under control. Goes on. They could gallop into a battle at 35 miles per hour and come to a sliding stop at a word. They were not frightened by arrows, spears, or torches. They were said to be meeked. To be meeked was to be taken from a state of wild rebellion and made completely loyal to and dependent upon one's master. These stallions became submissive, but certainly not spineless. They embodied power under control, under control strength with forbearance. I'm going in a war. I need to choose a horse. I don't want the fastest. I don't want the strongest. I want the one that is most under my control, that is dependent upon, that is loyal to, that is submissive. I say right, we go right. I say left, we go left. The one who is not weak, but is meek, who has surrendered to my control. Well, you know what? Maybe the same is true with God. Maybe the same is true with God. 
Maybe the fruit that God wants to give us, the inherit the earth, which you just said a minute ago that you want and God said he wants. Maybe the reason why we struggle to find it is because we need to work on meekness. The opposite of meekness would be resistance or unyielding or unsubmissive. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of a situation, either current or past, where you have resisted the control of God. You have resisted the ways of God. Where you have, he pulled right and you didn't pull, you didn't go right. He said left and you didn't go left. Where instead of, where you were trying to fight for what's yours, as opposed to letting God fight for you. Think of a situation where that existed. And I would bet my life on it. That in that situation, I would bet my life that in that situation, you are not inheriting the earth. That you are not winning. That you are not, let's just take the first three. Love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace. I will bet that in that situation, that you are not filled with love, not filled with joy, not filled with peace. Let me give you some examples. Maybe it's a trial. Some kind of tribulation. Some kind of sickness. Some kind of hardship. Some kind of suffering. Where you know what? You know all the verses. You heard all the sermons. I don't accept it. I don't accept it. I don't accept it as from God. I refuse to accept it. I will kick, I will scream, I will resist, I will say no, I will not accept it. I will be bitter, I will be resentful. And I bet you, if that's taking place in your life, where you are resisting where the master is guiding you, and you refuse to accept, then I bet you, you're going to struggle to inherit the earth in that area. You will not find love, you will not find joy, you will not find peace. Let's say it's in your home, you're married. You've been given a role as designated by God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church does to Christ. And if you resist the role that God has given to you and you refuse to embrace the position that God has put you, you can demand, you can scream, you can fight. You will never find inheriting the earth in that situation. If you resist the ways of God, you will never find the fruit that comes with the kingdom. Let's say it's a personal matter. A matter where everyone around you, be honest, everyone around you sees the problem in you, except you. Everyone around you knows you got no control in that area. Everyone around you knows that you're, you're a loose cannon here. Everyone around you knows that you need to apologize, that you need to repent, that you need to change your ways, that you got a problem. Everyone knows it except you. You resist. Well, I bet you in that area. You're going to struggle to inherit the earth. You're not going to win. You're not going to find love and joy and peace that all of us desire because the path to winning the path to inheriting the earth is surrender surrendering control to God letting him drive the ship and saying I'm just the horse you tell me which direction to go that's the path to get there I'm show you a passage here from the book of Psalms it's a long passage but actually it's what Jesus was quoting in this beatitude when he said blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth listen carefully and I want you to pay attention to all the verbs that talk about what is it that we do to inherit the earth, okay? And you'll see that all of them are on this idea of meekness. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. You see what he's saying? He's saying, you want to get to a certain place? Well, I'll get you there. But notice the action item for you is not to fight is not to scream, is not to even fret or worry. The action for you is to rest, to trust, 
to wait patiently, to be meek, keeps going. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. There you go. And it says even more specifically, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Those who fight for themselves versus choose to trust God to fight for them. Last thing. Once upon a time, true story that I read about in a book, there was a a race, a bike race that takes place yearly in India, a bike race. And when you first see the race as it's about to begin, it looks like a normal bike race. You got a starting line. You got all these kinds of guys on the bikes with the really tight shorts and the hats. And they're all lined up on their bikes, like bicycles, not like motorcycle, on their bicycles and ready to run this race. And there's like a straight path in front of them. And then the horn sounds or the gun blows or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, the race is anything but a normal race. Because in this particular race, the goal, it's a timed race, okay, like they have five minutes or 10 minutes to ride or whatever it is. And the goal in that time is to go as short a distance as possible. That's the race. The goal is to go as short a distance as possible, but you're not allowed to touch the ground. Because obviously then you could just stand like this and not move. So it's like, who can keep their balance Okay, on the bike, obviously, as you lose balance, you'll need to go forward to kind of regain your balance. The gun sounds, who can go as short a distance as possible without touching the ground in whatever 10-minute period or whatever it may be. Now, imagine you showed up in this race. You just heard that there's a race. Here's the instructions or the rules. You didn't have time for that stuff. Yeah, 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 I'll, I'll figure it out on the fly. And you get there. And you got your shorts and you got your tight shirt and you got your little water thing and you got your helmet. And all of a sudden the, sound, the horn sounds and you, boom, you shoot out of the gate and you go in as fast as you can. And you look back, you're like suckers. Okay. And you just go in and you're working up a sweat and you're working and you're pushing and you're all drenched in sweat. And you're just looking back and you're like, yes, I am a hero. I am the greatest bike rider in the history of the world. No one is greater than me. And then the final horn sounds. And you stop your bike and you realize the rules of the game. And you realize you're a loser in the truest sense of the word. You realize you lost because you didn't know the rules. In this game of life, in this game, there's rules. And there's a lot of people out there who think the rules, he who gets the furthest, he's the one who wins. He who gets the biggest stack of money, that's the one who wins. We have to run in and try to get the money or to get the house or to get the promotion. And look at me, ah, look at me, suckers. Look how much I got. But that's not how the game is played. That's not how you win. It's actually the exact opposite. The one who wins is not the one who fights to get his own. The one who surrenders and trusts waits patiently. That's the one who wins in the end. Because the kingdom of God is not about power. The kingdom of God is not about strength. It's not about possessions. The kingdom of God on earth, I'm not talking about that kingdom. I'm talking about kingdom of God on earth. That's our topic here. The kingdom of God on this earth, which God wants to give us, inherit the earth, is not about any of those things. What it is, it's about meekness. It's about the one who surrenders. Not the one who is weak, but the one who is strength under control, submitted like that war horse. It says to God, you're the commander, you're the king, you're the ruler, and I'm here to obey your word. 
You say, go, we go. You say, stop, we stop. You say, left, you say, right. I say, yes, sir. Not because I am weak, not because I don't have free will, but because I voluntarily and willingly submit myself to him who is wiser than me. Challenge for you this week. Okay, I want everyone to walk away with a challenge. I want you to practice, to think of one area, just one area. You don't got to tell anybody, but if you do tell somebody, I bet you you do a better job at it. Think of one area where you are struggling to surrender to God's control. One area where you're not living meekly. One area where you are resisting and unyielding and fighting back, okay? And kind of trying to get your way and try to sneak in this way and this way. One area where you are fighting. And I'm telling you, for one week, just one week, just one week, seven days, seven days, say, I'm going to submit this area to God. I'm going to surrender this area to God. And then you come and tell me, you come and tell me, is there more fruit in your life or no? You come and tell me, did you win that week? Did you have more love, more joy, more peace? We'll just stop at those three. We won't even go through all the rest of them. You tell me that when you act in meekness, do you find yourself inheriting the earth or no? And I would seriously, and I'm being honest, I would love to know the results of that. I would love for you to come and tell me next week or shoot me an email and let me know about that because I think I already know what the answer is going to be. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today and the message that you gave to us and the promise that you gave to us that you want us to win in this world. You don't want us just to be miserable and suffering and torture, but you want us to win, but you want us to understand what winning really looks like. So we're praying, God, that you would do a work inside all of our hearts and reveal to us, Lord, that one area that we can practice being meek and surrendering to you and we're trusting in you, Lord, that when we leave it in your hands, you will ultimately do what's best and you will help us to win in a way that truly is meaningful. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. The intercessions and the prayers of all your saints hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us here today. You can find us on any social media platform. And feel free to share a message that inspires you with family and friends. If there's anything that we can do for you, please visit our website and let us know how we can help or how we can pray for you. If you aren't receiving our weekly email, please click the Stay Connected button on our website. Have a great day.